0: Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to the Hardwood Hustle,
2: brought to you by PGC Basketball.
1: All right, TJ Rosine here with the Hardwood Hustle, and we got a special episode coming up here. It's going to be a two-parter, and I'm bringing on one of my former players, Clint Sobolski, and uh, Clint is one of our PGC directors. Uh, super inspiring guy but we're gonna for you coaches we're gonna dig deep into um, a lot of different topics specifically like reflecting back on a coach player relationship uh, what went well what didn't go well Uh, we haven't rehearsed this uh, haven't planned it we're just diving straight in with a bunch of questions and uh, we're gonna just uh, um, go through what it was like to be coached by me what i could have done better uh and and this coach is thinking about what you would do with your own players like what would a conversation sound like with this so it's going to be uh pretty personal pretty in-depth right here but should give you some good feedback and reflection time of your own but first of all uh clint thanks for joining us
2: hey tj thanks for having me man
1: yeah so i'm really excited to do this we're down here in hilton head island south carolina and uh clint is a pgc director and he's directing a session here and uh Clint, not uh, not not. Uh, I'm trying to paint a picture for who, for who you are as a college player. Okay, so I walked in the session the other day and had a really hard time finding you, because how tall are you, Clint?
2: I'm five foot nine.
1: Five foot nine, and um, you know he, he's uh, not a, an imposing type person. You would not pick him out as a college basketball player um, just by looking at Clint. Uh, but Clint was absolutely one of the best players I've ever coached. He was such a joy to coach, and what he brought to the team was just amazing. He even had a, uh, after he graduated um a D league tryout, he was a leader for our team, part of a national championship team, um, but you wouldn't know it. And so if you were coaching as one of those players that uh, was overlooked by a lot of people and would be, you know how the recruiting process goes. And um, But Clint added as much value to our team as any player uh, that I've ever had. And, Clint, let's dive right into that. Hey. Tell me a little bit about um, – tell me a little bit, first of all, about what's going on in your PGC session over there and you can let people know what you're doing and how you got into directing uh, at such a young age.
2: Yeah, well, first thing first is thanks a lot, TJ. You know, it's a pleasure to come on. It's a pleasure to kind of hear some cool things. Um, yeah, a lot of that's luck. Just thankful to have the opportunity to be able to play for you, man. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Um so Clint's here. He's, he's directing a PGC course, and he's, he's – uh, I can't think of a better person to be directing a PGC course. Um, I have my own children um, at the course, and you've worked with them before. But when you're talking about uh, – I've shared this before, but uh, a really successful gentleman one time shared with me that, uh, you know, when you're growing up, you have heroes. And then when you get older and you have your own children – uh, your heroes quickly change, and your heroes in your life turn into the people that pour into your children. And you've poured into my children as well as anybody uh, that I've ever been around, and you're in there pouring to other people's children. And, you know, I at PGC, we we count of just such a blessing to have a guy like you pouring into young people's lives, and you do an amazing job and so intentional about it, just as you were intentional um, as a player, one of the most intentional leaders I've ever been around um, with our team. The things that you did were un canny so let's let's start off with on a high note all right then we're going <laughs> to then we're going to hit some of the the dips and valleys and some of those things but uh so let, share with our coaches some of the things that you did. You don't even have to go into the why yet. I'm going to ask you that. But share some of the things you did uh, to lead our team as far as inviting them to workouts and just uh, the things that uh, added so much value to our program.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, the first thing is it's not like anything I thought of. Like I had great mentors. I had you, of course. I had Mono, had Chad Sanji, guys that spent a lot of time, like my grandfather, people that invested time. And in. it was more about investing in people than trying to get something out of it. Uh, probably the best thing I ever heard from you is, like, your life's not about you. And uh, something I really cared about and with my teammates, it was just more about what can I do to serve them each day to show that I actually care. It wasn't about trying to get your coach to like you to get, like, the people around the area to like you. It was more just about can you show an authentic self to make sure that they care. So little things like showing guys how to vote. Most guys on our team didn't, weren't signed up to vote, so going to show guys like, what to do with that. Uh, some guys didn't have bank accounts. Some guys didn't have bank accounts, so just getting them set up with that, uh, making sure we spent extra time getting our classes right, just kind of like little things. If we had, we actually did pool workouts for a little while. Some of the guys thought that was pretty funny. But uh, we would wake up in the morning or, or after practice and try to convince a couple guys to come and do a pool workout. And uh, it was just more about investing time with one another, showing each other we care. Even if it was, like, driving down the road to go pick a guy up, have some breakfast with him, just have a good time.
1: So our coaches that are listening, I think one of the things that they would, would love to know, you know, I, I know you can't create that same sense because I've coached hundreds of players and I've only had a handful of players probably, you know, I've had a ton of great guys, great guys that poured into so many people. And the list goes on and on from from you and Austin Farrow, Patrick McCrary. To, you know, you just go down the list of just amazing players they've had but you were probably the most intentional about it to like serve and build relationship with teammates and coaches dream of having players like that you know but it's it's not very often if they've got one out of ten they consider themselves really lucky what are some lessons that you learned you talked about your mentors throughout life and what are some lessons you learned that uh, that helped you to decide to invest in those relationships and not make it about you
2: well, that's a good question. Probably the first thing is just, so my my, my grandfather was a, was a business owner, and his big thing was, like, if you have people working for you or you have people working with you, they're not going to work the same level if they don't care about you. And so you've got to show that care first, and it, it's usually finding a way of what they care about, something that they like, something that they're passionate about, and then just doing it with them. Or if it's not something they're passionate about, something that they need. And so coaches do that all the time, and so it's sometimes maybe just giving that reminder to players saying, "Hey, what does your teammate need right now? What does your teammate care right care about right now?" asking them and then saying, "Seek that out." And it could be something small, it could be something big. It could be just talking about their relationship. It changes the game
1: as a, from a coaching standpoint, um, you know like thinking about pouring into uh, into players. let's talk about uh, I want a two part question here. What are some things as a coaching staff, we did well to pour into you to you know to make you want to work hard for us to make you want to make others work hard what are some things we did well as a coaching staff
2: things you guys did well was keep things simple things like being able to create space so things on the court keeping it as simple as possible with our read and react there was very uh very clear and understanding principles that we were going by and then off the court was keeping an open mic like you always talked about truth love and transparency think that transparency was probably the biggest thing like i think you remember the one day where willie stood up in film session and was just like i think that there's another guy on the team that needs to play more and so most coaches would probably be like well no he doesn't need to play more he doesn't need another chance or whatever it is you're like let's have that conversation and sure enough that player got to play a couple days days down the road played really well had like nine points and before that i think his high was like three So the fact that that's a conversation, the fact that you guys, there's coaches that talk about different things, and then there's coaches that act about different things. And so we always knew that there was going to be that truth, love, and transparency, and that transparency went two ways, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did you feel like as coaches we were transparent with you? For sure. And, and, and how did that serve you as a player? And also what pills were tough to swallow as a player like with that transparency?
2: Yeah, so transparency went two ways. One time there was lots of times where you'd, you'd hear things and you'd like to hear them and you'd, you'd be accepting. So like at the beginning of the year where there was opportunities to start, there was opportunities um, to – to get more playing time to do whatever. But then as soon as like for example for myself, let's just be let's put things out like I had an injury during the year and there was no way of me being able to perform at, at a certain level. And we had talks almost daily about it like how I was doing, how I was progressing. And there came a time where like hey, look at Clint, this is this isn't going to work this way and we had an understanding of where I could fit in but at the same time the transparency. Like there was transparency in that, but there was also love in that. Like there was a lot of hey, like there is going like it wasn't just a shutdown. There's lots of coaches that probably in my situation there would have been like hey, he's he's probably not benefiting us on the court right now.
1: What are some things as looking back on your career, you know, as a coach and staff, what could we have done better to support you as a player? What what are some things that we could have done that uh, would have made your your career more fulfilling? We had these conversations towards the end of your career, oh, sure. but what what are what are some things along the way? as a coaching staff from a player's perspective. And I think a lot of coaches will, uh, will learn from me as I know we'll learn from him. I'll learn from him. What are some things we could have done better to support you as a player?
2: Um, I think maybe one thing that you guys could have probably changed is having conversation with each other saying, Hey, have we talked to so-and-so lately or have we, and maybe you guys had, but just the, so kind of behind the scenes had sometimes there were situations where players thought they were having a conversation with different coaches and, uh, they didn't end up having those conversations, so then they ended up coming to me and having conversations uh, when I had to try to kind of figure out what was really going on in the background. So kind of coming back and checking with those players or just between yourself, like, hey, had we talked to um, – we?" T-? so this isn't a situation, but had we talked to Steven about this? Um, oh, actually, our assistant coaches didn't talk to him about it. Let's go back and check out kind of what that was.
1: Yeah, what? Um, so as we go through and the, the transparency piece, and and uh, I think what you're harping on there is just communication. Like you know that mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I've started to learn as a coach is that um, it, it, players, even when you're transparent, players have a lot of feelings they have a hard time expressing. Of
0: course they do. Yeah,
1: you know, and uh, what what things did we do well to fe- make players feel comfortable about speaking? and what could you do better what could coaches do better to help players feel more comfortable to to give their truth love and transparency i think as an, an adult right and has, having been through it for 16 years as the head coach like i don't have a really hard time being transparent you know right. and, and and but for it's different when i'm looking at an 18 19 year old and and how do they become transparent so what things did we do well to open up the gates for you to be transparent communication lines to be good and what things could we have done better in that
2: yeah so I think in like practice situations, there was different scenarios where you guys would say, "Hey, we have open mic Monday," and just say how you feel, talk how we feel, and we figure it out. Now some guys wouldn't say things because they're younger, they don't know how to say it, or because they're on the spot, and so maybe saying, "Hey, tomorrow we're gonna have an open mic,"
1: yeah. maybe
2: go home, write some notes down. What do you really want to say? Make sure you have it on. So paper. guided them through it more. Maybe yeah. Yeah, and maybe they're not, they're not maybe even before. guide
1: them with questions like would it be better if we were to go hey write down any questions you have about playing time write down any questions you have about any conflicts that may be going on write down thoughts that you may have so not just saying hey open mic whatever but giving some more questions that probed thinking on their part
2: yeah things that kind of like as as an 18 year old to, to really walk them through like is this amount of playing time uh, an issue with you or and so some of that like that they have to choke up and there's different things where you have to be able to to accept the role and, and where you're at in your in just your life but i think giving them the opportunity to just maybe voice their opinion and sometimes they didn't they didn't know how to say it and being able to go home and write it down would have changed a lot of guys or at least change my time to be able to have a different conversation with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Hey, well, listen, we're, we're going to take a halftime break and get our communication tip of the day from our friends over at Team Snap and uh, really enjoying uh, myself just talk, having this conversation and being able to grow and see where I can get better as well. Uh, but let's get our communication tip of the day, and we'll be right back.
0: Thanks to our friends over at Team Snap for today's halftime communication tip. Coaches, how often are you recommunicating your vision? your plan for the program. This needs to be a regular occurrence in your program, whether it's weekly or bi-monthly. It needs to be a constant reminder to your coaches and to your players what you want this program to look like, what you want it to be, and where you want it to go. This is an important communication aspect of any coach. And what I want to challenge you, if you haven't done that in a while, make this week the week that you get back to communicating your vision to make sure we never get too far off track from where we want to go. Thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap. Make sure you check out TeamSnap.com backslash hustle to learn more about the communication app serving over 15 million people across the globe. Special thanks to our friends at TeamSnap for all their support of the hustle. Now back to the show.
1: All right, I'm here with Clint Sobolski, one of my former players, one of our PGC directors, and um, we're just having a transparent conversation for coaches to think and reflect on their own conversations, maybe they could have with players, and figuring out what they could do better. And I know I'm learning from this, Clint. Let's let's transition to a, to a. Um, the scenario of teammates really fast, all right? Mm-hmm. So uh, w- what kind of things are hard to manage? Like as you're a, as you're a leader and you're a player, right, coaches, we, we try and have the heartbeat of the team, but obviously there's things that go on we don't know about. There's, there's different conversations that go on, different uh, people making good decisions keep, you know, and bad decisions. I mean, there's a lot of things we didn't recognize as coaches that people were doing well uh, and vice versa, things they weren't doing well. As a leader of the team, Right as, as, as a as a leader on uh, in in any group any program, what are some things that uh, coaching staff we could do better to support leaders? Like what makes what empowers a leader like yourself to be able to lead the way that you want to lead?
2: Good question. Well, first of all, it was it was easy for me because I had the best teammates in the nation, and that's that's more why we won a championship than we did anything else. Like we just had great people. And uh, like, I think from, well, if you ask from a coaching perspective, when we did it, so we'll, we'll talk about that, but just having those weekly conversations with your, with your captain saying, Hey, what's kind of going on and uh, not to get the scoop or the skinny, but just saying like, how are things doing? How can I serve your teammates? How can you serve your teammates? Can I help you with things? And we had those conversations and things worked well. Um, Did
1: you feel like as coaches, we had leaders, we had your back as leaders?
2: I felt you had the backs of everyone. And I think that, as an eighteen-year-old, different time, in different moments, players feel they don't have the backs, or they don't, their coaches don't have their back. But when you look at it from a full perspective, when you stand there and you just have the time to think, absolutely.
1: What what, what things made you feel like we had your back? What things helped you to think? Man, coach coaches they they care for us. They've got they they've got our back here.
2: I think it's a small thing. So every single practice, we didn't start by warming up. We started with a conversation. And doing it two years in a row, some of the conversations were the same. And that does not that's not a bad thing. To say the same thing over and over and over again, I think some coaches feel like they shouldn't or that players will find it boring. Well, yes, sometimes players will find it boring, but that's how you build culture. You say the same things over and we you know the truth, love, and transparency, you could say that in any Emmanuel College player and they know what that means. And so I think that's a that's a very small thing but I think that as a as a coach last year going into pro like it it worked there too. We would start every practice and I would start the practice with just some sort of talk and sometimes it was just like like we just opened it up about playing time and that's a that's a different thing for cal- for for pro guys that worked really well and so
1: So transitioning um so after Clint left he um he went on and had a d-league tryout eventually got into uh, coaching at a pro team over in canada and uh when you when you flipped over from from player to coach what was the toughest transition that you had to make there's a lot of coaches that listen to this that are just fresh off playing and they're making the transition what what are some things uh that were tough for you in the transition of
2: coaching um i didn't find it that difficult but i think what most people at least when i went and asked for advice is that You have to know that you're not a player anymore. And so you have to be able to go ahead and put that down and say, I'm not a player, and you have to look at it from another perspective. When you're talking to your teammates or when you're talking to your players, you're not going to say, hey, when I used to do it this way. Because it really doesn't matter how many you put up last week, last month, last year. They don't, really, they don't really respect that as much as they do say, hey, I think this would benefit your game. And they care think- about
1: their situation. They, yeah. Yeah, I felt myself early in my career talking about my career before I realized they didn't care about my career. <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> they really don't. And uh, it's hard for them to envision that, you know. what um, you, you had to coach a myriad of different types of players, right? Yeah. What was the most difficult type of player for you to coach?
2: The most difficult was somebody who was right at the brink of being special but couldn't do something really small to change where they were at. So a guy who believed that they were great, who was very close to being great, and there, we had a multiple of them, and this doesn't mean that they were bad people. We had wonderful people on that team, but guys that couldn't change one part of their game because, of course, they're getting paid now to do what they're doing. So when you ask them to do something different that's a, there's a fear involved that you change that that could take away the ability to be able to be paid for what you do.
1: Yeah. What what kind of things did you do in those situations, you know, with with those types of players when you're trying to get them over the hump? I mean, I think all coaches are trying to take players to the next level whether it's from you know, from not playing to contributing, contributing to starting, starting to being great, great to being you know whatever it is, like, always trying to get to that next level. What types of things did you feel were successful in helping a player get over a hump?
2: Well, there was one player we had named Rick Bodiford, who was an awesome guy, great team leader and stuff, um, played in Canada for multiple years and stuff, and really just had an aspiration to kind of play at a little bit higher level or at least shoot at a higher level. And something that small was him is he just wasn't shot ready. And you think that, like, you could teach that at literally all levels. And it's funny, you you go to a PGC session, you tell athletes to be shot ready. They're like, Coach, I know that. Well, there's pro guys that don't know that. And so what I did was I broke down just, just what you would kind of do with the high school player or any other player, broke down film of the, the guys that I thought were best shot ready players, like Otto Porter, Clay Thompson, and showed him how guys would move, like slide on the move and maintain shot ready. So he started the season, or for his career, he is around a 28% three-point shooter. And once he saw the film and saw it, we just sat down and went through it. We'd walk, watch it a couple different times, and I just remind him that. So he was
1: seeing a, it was a big part. Yeah,
2: like because we talk about at PGC, um, see it, do it, um, and hear it, right? And so we, we just made sure I, I made sure he hear, heard it each day. You're a great shooter. Stay shot ready. Like I, I wouldn't give him the reminder without telling him he's great at it. And uh, the second thing is making sure he sees it on film, and so he finished the season at thirty-eight percent. So we we're pretty excited for that.
1: Yeah, that's really neat. Um, so as you're transitioning from from player to coach, and uh, what what skills were transferable as a player? You know, as, as a leader, as a player, becoming leader, a coach. What things were just universal like leaders just do this no matter whether you're playing no matter whether you're coaching what things served you that you learned throughout your life and you've learned at pgc you've learned through a manual uh, different places that you've been what are the best leadership things that, that served you
2: uh, probably my just work ethic i think work ethic goes anywhere like if you work on your game like on the court and you work on the game off the court and the second thing is just because you're working hard you shouldn't assume that someone else should be doing the exact same as you. So if you're working at that level, just seeing everything with excitement, um, no matter what level of intensity it is, and then coaching them through that with truth, love, and transparency.
1: Yeah, that's super. Hey, well, Clint, um, w- we're going to do uh, a part two to this. i got a, I got a ton more questions that I want to ask you, but uh, uh, thanks for joining us in part one. And uh, we're going to uh, end it here. I'm TJ Rosine with The Hardwood Hustle, and join us for part two uh, coming up in the next episode.